0: Hello, sir. Good morning. How's it going?
1: Um, okay,
0: okay. Okay. You're listening to Just One of the Guys, now featuring a milestone episode that will still have me sounding like it was just my first. <laughs> and welcome to episode 100, who thought we'd ever make it here, of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted, of course, again by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Hello everyone, my name's Sean Engel, and it's my job on this podcast to cover the Green Lantern comics, starting with the cover date June 1990, and ending with the cover date of November 2004, putting a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. And this time, we're going to be putting a special emphasis on two Green Lanterns. Well, more than two Green Lanterns, because we've got the Green Lantern Quarterly book coming up. But specifically on Kyle Rayner and Hal Jordan. Yep, Hal Jordan. Not Parallax, Hal Jordan. And not the old with the uh, silver streaks through his hair, Hal Jordan. The young Hal Jordan. It's kind of weird. It involves time travel and all that kind of stuff. Is that why I'm suddenly wearing a a Welcome Back Cotter (laughs) t-shirt? Exactly. And I'm going to do my Horshack impression (laughs) during the show as well. So look forward to that. (laughs) That'll make it an extra special episode.
1: I'm going to make Eisenhower
0: jokes. (laughs) Uh, And we also have an issue of Green Lantern Corps Quarterly. uh, The last issue. Yes. Well... Uh, I think we'll have interesting things to say about it. There is a Jack T's chance story in there, which is always awesome. Of course it's the nineties as well. So Lobo has to show up. So (laughs) he gets the given you take, I guess. But the dulcet tones you heard of the person who's going to be celebrating episode 100 with me is none other than the man who brought you the book, Shadow Legion, New Roads to Hell, and is the co-host, along with Derek Ferguson, of the awesome podcast, Better in the Dark. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the show my very good friend, Mr. Thomas D.G. Thomas, thanks for coming. It is always
1: a pleasure, my friend, to be with you
0: and to talk about stuff. I'm glad that you're here to talk about, especially episode 100, especially talking about Green Lantern 100. This is the kickoff of a big story. Hal is back. It's bizarre. I think we're going to have some fun stuff to talk
1: about. Yeah, I mean, if there's ever, I just want to say, if there's ever proof that Ron Mars had no ill will for Hal. No. It's right here.
0: Exactly. If, If people believe that Ron Mars thought poorly of Hal. You can't find it in this book. There is nothing here but a loving amount of praise for Hal Jordan. And we're going to get right to that after I take this little break and play my prerequisite number of podcast promos for some shows that you should be definitely listening to. So as soon as we come back from this break, we will get into our coverage of Green Lantern number
2: one hundred. the Enterprise a proper shakedown. I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this?
3: Which one of you is the captain?
2: Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise.
4: What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions.
2: Destruct, sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I found the spot! I'm talking
4: to the spot to understand Every episode of the classic original TV series in randomly selected order on the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.com.
2: Throughout its history, people have found this place disquieting. Strange and unexplained phenomena run rampant, so much so that it's been called the city that lives by night. And the city that lives by night needs a darker form of protector. Black Talon.
0: Please don't kill me! You tell them all, Nocturne is the Talon's hunting ground. Your kind had best look elsewhere for prey.
2: Nightbreaker.
4: What was this? Some sort of joke? No! Gloria, this sounds crazy, I know, but she did shoot me. Something happened. I'm still not sure what, but people don't recognize unless I truly concentrate on their wanting to see me. It's like I'm invisible.
2: Fairyman. The ghosts you refer to have done more for me than you two have. They've given me my sight back. <laughs> They've given me better than my sight back. Dreamcatcher, catcher. Witches, warlocks, mages, magicians, shamans. Call us what you like. It's all the same. We've helped when we can. Eluded those too ignorant to understand that magic isn't evil. And it's made us sensitive to others who have magic running in their veins. A quartet of heroes standing together must face a new menace. This can be painless, you know. You ain't putting the fronters on me, slag. Just take your shot, yeah? I was hoping you'd say that. Who is going to use the roughest elements of the city. You that rose red bitch? That's right. I'm not even mad at you for adding the bitch part. Because I am. And I know you guys are some of the nastiest, toughest, roughest, meanest bastards in this town. Am I right? Yeah! Yeah! Good, because I have need of you. To send this city.
4: Come on! To send tonight.
2: Down New Roads to Hell. New Roads to Hell, the first Shadow Legion adventure by Thomas DJ. A new novel coming soon from Airship 27. For more information, including character sketches and behind-the-scenes information, visit the Nocturne Travel Agency at welcometonocturne.blogspot.com. Com and airship27.com
0: and we are back so let's go ahead and dive right in this is green lantern number 100 it was of course cover dated on july 1998 and released on may 13th 1998 mike's amazing world of dc comics covers that information the cover price this time out was a whopping 200 200 crap <laughs> It was two hundred dollars. Holy two hundred dollars! No, it was a whopping two dollars and ninety-five cents U.S. and four twenty-five Canada. Certain if Dan DiDio could get away with charging two hundred dollars for a comic, he would. Sorry, I'll edit that out. No, I won't. The title was "In Brightest was Days Past." Say, fuck Deo! <laughs> yes, fuck Dan DiDio. We had to get it out of the way early. The title was In Brightest Days Past, the writer was Ron Mars, penciler was Daryl Banks, inker was Terry Austin, colorist was Robert Schwager, letterer was Chris Eliopoulos, associate editor was Dana Curtin, and editor was Kevin Dooley. Kyle Rayner is the Green Lantern, the only Green Lantern, but this doesn't seem to be the case as he gets Hal Jordan, the former Green Lantern of Earth, blasted into him by Hal's archenemy, Sinestro. Before Hal and Kyle can become better acquainted, Sinestro traps the two in a yellow bird cage, trapping them as he, to, as he heads off to kill the Guardians of the Universe. Wondering how all of this happened, Kyle melts his way out of the cage, something that Hal knows that a Green Lantern shouldn't be able to do. Rather than get an explanation about how he was able to use his ring against yellow constructs, Hal tells Kyle to come with him to try and stop Sinestro. Kyle marvels at being in the presence of his predecessor, and tells him that it's an honor to be working with him. Hal nonchalantly shrugs off the compliment as the two reach Sinestro's destination, the central power battery on Oa. Having only seen it in ruins, Kyle marvels at the source of the Emerald Energy, until Hal fills him in on the plan to take the baddie down. Cut to the Guardian's beating chamber, where Sinestro is holding hostage the diminutive demigods via ring construct robots. The Guardians claim Sinestro became a power-hungry dictator, which is why they banished him to the antimatter universe of Quard. Sinestro begs to differ as he plans to ram a ring-construct dagger into the throat of one of the Guardians. But before the crazed Kuregarian can carry out his crime, Hal Jordan smashes into the meeting chamber and engages Sinestro in some over-the-top level of fighting McFightenstein. Copyright Andrew Leland, 2011, all rights reserved. The two mightily struggle, But Sinestro eventually forces Hal's hand, see what I did there? They were arm wrestling, and goes back to his initial plan of killing the Guardians. But there's been a little hiccup in his plan, as Kyle has rescued them and uses his immune to yellow, no 24 hour limit ring, to pound the shit out of Sinestro. Having beaten the rogue lantern, Kyle goes to check on him, only to find that he was playing possum, as he clocks Kyle with an open palm to the face. Hal leaps in to try and rescue his downed compatriot, but Sinestro is too quick and traps him in a ring-construct gallows. Sinestro gives Kyle the option of catching him, or catching Hal, and Kyle does the latter, allowing Sinestro to get away. Frustrated, Hal scolds Kyle for his decision, but Kyle counters by saying that at least he saved the Guardians. Of course, the Guardians, especially Ganthet, aren't very gracious, which causes Kyle to get into a bit of a standoff with the little blue imp. However, all of this is interrupted by the arrival of the rest of the Green Lantern Corps. Kyle marvels at the variety of the aliens that make up the Corps, and when asked about where he's from, Kyle spills the beans and lets everyone know that he's from the future. This leads to Kyle relating the events of the last few issues, including his fight with Graven, his transport into the future, his meet-up with the Legion, and Brainiac Pi's mistaken return of him to this time. The Guardians confer and decide that Kyle must immediately be sent back, but Kyle heatedly disagrees, saying that he needs to go after Sinestro. Hal restrains Kyle and convinces the Guardians that he could be a great help in capturing the yellow-ringed renegade, and the Guardians reluctantly relent. But before the Corps can go after him, they all head to the central battery, and in an epic panel, the entirety of the Corps charges their rings and recite the oath, something which Kyle finds completely awesome. Out in space, Hal tells the Corps members that he's certain Sinestro is using his ring to propel a nearby asteroid into the Guardian Citadel. Hal sends the Corps to make a frontal assault as he and Kyle take the fight directly to Sinestro. Everything goes to plan until Sinestro gains the upper hand against Hal and runs a ring construct spear into a downed Kyle's chest. Looking like he's won, Hal sneaks up behind Sinestro and puts a ring construct gun to his head. The former Lantern can't understand how Hal was able to escape his constructs, and Hal tells him that he and Kyle had switched rings, allowing Hal to destroy the Yellow Restraints and Kyle to withstand the mortal injury. Crisis averted, and Boxing Club Punch utilized, and rings exchanged, our heroes take the Shackled Sinestro back to Oa, where the Guardians decide to launch him into space into a prison capsule where he'll be no Tribble at all. Oh wait, that was another franchise, sorry. And with that, the Guardians use their MacGuffin powers to send Kyle back to his timeline. But not before Sinestro can will his ring to push Hal into the transported beam with him, depositing Kyle and Hal back in New York City in the present day. And there we go, the epic... Green Lantern, number 100, that essentially puts puts Hal Jordan back in the DC universe, something I think everyone was wanting. Um, And somewhere a bullet headed guy goes, yes,
5: a comic for me, a comic that speaks to me.
0: (laughs) Oh, Lord. (laughs) Um, I know people were still wanting Hal back, and it looks like we may have got him here. And it's kind of cool because the actual novice good guy, Hal. And plus, uh, I'm trying to remember where the whole Graven thing gets addressed throughout the story. I don't remember anything about that, but I think that's neither here nor there. And I think going on from this, it's really going to be interesting to see what happens to Hal with the rest of the world who still thinks of him as dead and some who still rem- remember his Parallax, um... I think that'll be a really interesting thing as we see going on, and I can't wait to re go over those issues again because I have not read those pretty much since I picked them up. So this is going to be fun. Uh, Thomas, do you have any notes on it? Okay, first off, killer cover. Mm-hmm. Now, which cover? Do you have... Uh... Uh,
1: the one I'm looking at is the one with the two of them, you know... Side by side. Split. Yeah, with the split... Uh... Lantern symbol behind them. Mm
0: -hmm. There were basically three covers of this, and this was at the time when variant covers wasn't the norm. Mm -hmm. Variant covers were, you know, you'd have them every once in a while, but this was a good idea for a variant cover. For some reason, I've got the cover with Hal Jordan on it, probably because at the time I wasn't as picky, but Mm -hmm. uh, it's a good cover. Banks does a good job of drawing all three of them. Kyle looks good. The two of them Mm -hmm. on the, the, basically the one where they're both on there together the way they split up the other two alternate covers was one was that image with Hal right. on it, and another one was that image with Kyle on it.
1: So, and it's interesting because you kind of look at look at the the, the facial expressions here, mm-hmm. and you get kind of a sense of the personality of and how the personalities of Hal and Kyle differ at this point. Yes, you know, Hal's got that kind of like yeah, that's right, I got it kind of smirk, mm-hmm. and you know, Kyle's just like going in with bold determination.
0: Yes. It's it, they're they're both great and this is some of the this is some of the best artwork in here by uh by Banks. He really he really did a great job. Him and Austin did a great job on this cover and he, it he, looks okay. really good. I, I have I still have problems with Austin's inking. hmm I will give you that. There are parts in the story proper that I'll actually have things mm-hmm. to comment about, you know, the inking, because there are some of the some of the images in there that get kinda wonky. Going into the book, I really don't have anything until about page four, which is, right. which, you know, at that top panel, I yeah. just wanted to comment about how awkward that, uh, panel is with, uh,
1: ours uh, is a proper one.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, Hal and uh, Kyle are getting a, a bit too friendly on that panel. It's one of those out of context <laughs> panels that if you just, uh, change the word, Looks bit, like Hal's
1: about to get Kyle some flowers. <laughs>
0: Oh lord. Now in in the panel I love panel, the
1: grumpy cat expression <laughs> of Sinestro at the bottom of that page. <laughs> oh
0: yes, the with his hands crossed and his yes. really don't downstairs. like it <laughs> Don't like it at all. Uh, now I know in the early I, I could have sworn there was an episode of uh DJ's Comics Cavalcade where Sinestro had trapped how in a ring construct bubble and he escaped of it escaped out of it by manipulating the air to speed up time or something like that and it looks like uh you know because on this on this page you know sinestro references you won't get out of this cage like last time so of course you know sinestro has probably put Hal in ring construct cages like dozens of times by now so
1: I think it's just interesting that, that Mars chooses to give us a, a – my, my guess is that this is how maybe his second year mm-hmm. has Green Lantern.
0: Yeah, he's he's discovered the core, so obviously he knows about that. So it's not right. his first couple of issues because he didn't really know about right. the
1: Guardians of the core until then. Until later on, yeah. I mean, it's, it's – and we know that he knows Tomari. Mm-hmm. Because he does do, and I just think it's interesting that, that they he doesn't bring him to that point um when we get towards like the end of the sixties where he's a bit of a of a prat,
0: yeah he's still he's still the youthful mm-hmm. exuberant you know uh trying to be heroic hal, but he's mm-hmm. not the one who's so overly confident that he believes that you know he can get anything done and i I love that and I love on page seven uh, after after well, on page six, the bottom panel of Kyle just mm-hmm. grinning. And of course, there's yeah. Terry Austin's love of teeth again. <laughs> Anthony Robbins, look at my teeth. <laughs> and then, you know, Kyle just realizing that he's he's, he's in the presence kid. of Grayson. Yeah, he's he's in the team, negative
1: though. way. He is a big kid throughout this adventure.
0: hmm. But not, he's he's a kid and he's loving the fact that he's with this guy who's who he's kind of got hero worship for, but Kyle isn't ineffectual. He's not mm-hmm. he's not like whatever you say, Hal, you do whatever you know, whatever you say, I'll do. Kyle actually has some things to to input on this story as well. So it's not like Kyle is just lapdog following Hal throughout this. Kyle actually is a Green Lantern in his own right. It's just he's getting to work with basically his predecessor in his prime which is something that he never got to do as it Greenland. Surprise me if they were about the same age in fact. You know, that I think that I think you might be right. I think that probably works well for them because it, it allows them to relate a lot better. So, you know, and it's kind of neat that Kyle probably at this point in time has more experience than Hal. Yeah, but even even though Kyle does have more experience than him, he recognizes the greatness in Hal. So, you know, again, like you said at the beginning, this is Mars' loving letter to Hal Jordan. And mm-hmm. it, it, I can't, I agree. I cannot see how people can think that Mars had a thing against him. Page 8. Here's eight your eight. favorite
1: yellow buildings in the background on page 8. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that one, that, that the circular panel? Mm-hmm. yeah that's those teeth are so freaking weird Mm -hmm. well and this
0: is this is where the inking i think gets a little weird because the inking is just so thick around here and the shading on kyle i wanted to those are one of the things i wanted to comment on again you know terry austin is known for being a great inker he's done a, a ton of stuff with uh, Byrne and the X-Men, I think he's mm-hmm. best known for that. But his inking here just gets kind of wonky at certain
5: times. Yeah.
0: The next page, I love the robot constructs that are holding them. They're very classic. I don't know if these have actually been in a Green Lantern story, because they mm-hmm. look very familiar. Well, they just look very
1: Silver age
0: Yeah, that's true. And I think this is what they're kind of trying to evoke, the sort of feel of the Silver Age here. But... Uh, yeah, it's really fun. Uh, the next page on page 10, I think this is where the inking just... Oh, God, Ape Man, Sinestro. Oh, yeah, he, uh, this is just what really What the bad. heck is wrong with that? I mean, the, the, I th- I'm assuming we're both speaking about the second panel. The second panel, yes, is just... Oh. I don't know what happened, whether this was rushed or whatever, but the inking is just so thick, it doesn't, it doesn't even look like, so- And in the next panel... It doesn't look like Sinestro. it looks like a, a pink skin metalloonin from It's like Colin Ferris. <laughs> no seriously. Does. It, it does. It does. But the, uh, you know it's just you, but if you look at the other panels down here at the bottom Well,
1: looks... somewhere the, Colin Ferris looks up from his from his hot dog stand and goes, "What? Someone's <laughs> talking about me."
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, poor Colin Ferris or Colin Fer what the hell his name is. Fuck <laughs> it, Dark Star cast. <laughs> Uh oh, I'm I will never get members of the Dark Star cast ever on this show. What am I saying? No one's doing a podcast about the Dark Stars. <laughs> Sad comic. <laughs> but see, the thing is, from that top couple of panels moving down to the bottom ones, the inking just greatly improved. So I'm wondering. Yeah,
1: it definitely. In fact, you could see a little bit of burn in in some of in some of the, the inking style. Yeah,
0: actually. The last panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to page 11, I've got to kind of wonder about this. And this is probably just a Silver Age thing. Mm-hmm. Hal Jordan decided to make his entrance entrance to the uh, Guardian Citadel by using a ring construct drill to drill in the side <laughs> of it. Regardless of the fact that Sinestro had just broken in a big, you know, honking, a hole. big honking hole, and then later on in the book, we will see oh, the Green Lantern Corps just fly into the top. <laughs> I mean, I can understand Sinestro doing wanton destruction of things, but how? Really? Come on. I mean, this has got a mm-hmm. this got you know this is infrastructure to destroying. I mean, I know you probably don't get paid for this, but mm-hmm. just don't be a jerk and drill holes into the wall, Hal. I don't know. <laughs> Um, we've got the over-the-top wrestling art, mm-hmm. you know, thing. See, now that's what Sinestro looks like. Yes. No, that that's awesome. You know, he's got yeah. the very, he's got the widow's peak, he's got the very high forehead. I think that's really good artwork there on that page. Now, the the fact that they're arm wrestling with their constructs, of it's one of those things where it works against, the, the Green Lantern ring works against the yellow sometimes, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's effective looking panel and it's kind of neat and i guess if you're a you know stallone over the top fan that really works but uh it's fun my next note is page 13 Mm. panel uh three the big gl the big gl symbol i i expect adam yoach or someone from the beastie boys be wearing that around his neck and it just be (laughs) huge i think that would be (laughs) awesome. that would be awesome but then uh, again, then we get the Rock'em Sock'em robot in fourteen. Oh yes. Oh the the robot with the... There was a game in the arcades around this time, maybe a little earlier, called uh, what was it? Oh, it was the football game. Yeah, the right? football game where you played with the, the robots, robots. Oh, and God. you kind I of remember. it wasn't Blood Bowl. I believe the game you were thinking of was called Cyberball Two Thousand and Seventy Two. No, uh, was, no, uh, I can't remember, but yeah, it was it was it was some sort of football game where you basically played with robots and they ran around on sort of tank treads, and that's kind of what this looks like. But yeah, that's fun as he as Kyle uses his ring, which he obviously states doesn't have the twenty four hour weakness mm-hmm. and doesn't have the. Uh, Community to yellow. So and I like it uh, in that panel above that, did you see the guardians, you know, looking at each other going, What, what the hell the is
1: this?
0: Heck? Did you do that?
1: that. What All about right. you, Bob?
0: I didn't do that. Did you do that? Chuck? <laughs> did, did I miss Fuck a you, memo? <laughs> <laughs> my next my next note is, you know, the 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 artwork he, you know, it doesn't really wane. It gets a lot better in the next yeah. couple of pages. The the one kind of
1: that weird panel with with uh, Sinestro doing the karate choppy thing mm-hmm. with the with his palm. That just that that anatomy is all screwed up.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it I think the perspective there is a bit off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, I, again it may have been a bit of a rush, you know, because this was a bigger mm-hmm. issue. But right. yeah, it looks a bit wonky there.
1: And, and here we have Sinestro's secret. Secret hide to Shag Matthews by doing a Slipknot impersonation.
0: <laughs> oh wow! I was able to put a Slipknot joke into my show. Now Shag will be certain to
1: <laughs> Yes, let's let's uh, let's cite the lamest Firestorm villain ever. Sorry, Shag.
0: Slipknot does suck. Let's just <laughs> let's just say that
1: they let John Ostrander blow off his arm. <laughs> wow. Okay, well
0: there we go. Um, my next note is on page 17, and this is where the art gets a little wonky as well. The, <laughs> you know, Hal and Kyle and all the little panels look good, but the Valkyrie ring construct that he does, <laughs> it, the artwork is. I I don't think her face looks very good, and I think that she is wearing a push-up bra that would make Maiden form just go insane. That is just <laughs> some really <laughs> lift and separate type. Uh, Metal boob thing she's got going on. So yeah, Hal mentions on page eighteen. You know, he he asks who was responsible for your training, not Kilowog. And again, at this time, was Kilowog even around? If we're if we're making the assumption that this was like the second year Mm -hmm. of Hal's training or of Hal being Green Lantern, Kilowog really didn't come around until. What the mid 80s with the Green Lantern Corps, I think is first. Yeah, but I think that he's
1: been retroactively placed in. Okay, so that, you know. At this point, has part as one of the trainers when okay. Hal. Okay. Well, just that Sinestro was the guy who got it, who got assigned. I think that it's been further retroactively explained that the reason Sinestro trained Hal was because, of course, he had his bestest, his besties ring. And he requested the, you know, but we'll get to, we'll get to how Sinestro's bestie pretty soon.
0: Okay. Um, you get the explanation of, you know, you get, you get the introduction of Kyle. I
1: love that he made the crack about the bump in the head, by the way. (laughs) Wait, where is that? On page 18, panel one, two, four. Okay. If you had just, uh, cut the rope instead of catching me, I would have just gotten a bump on the head. Which, as we know, in those early issues of Green Lantern, he got bumped on the head a lot. Oh,
0: yes. That was, you know, more than like yellow constructs or anything. The thing you could do to take out Hal Jordan was get him knocked on the head. Yeah. <laughs> he was constantly getting that. Which is uh, why, of course, Parallax took him over because he had a concussion, post-concussion <laughs> syndrome. Makes sense. Um, Page twenty. This is I think uh, I think uh, banks's artwork shines. he does a really oh. good job at uh, depicting the core, and again, like I said early in the thing, hey, there's a big hole in the roof. why couldn't <laughs> he just you know hopped in through that rather than drilling a big hole in the wall so yeah but yeah it's nice to see a lot of the a lot of the familiar lanterns about uh, what's this bulldog do? oh no, I'm sorry, that's kilowog <laughs> see, I was wondering what the chewed bubblegum green lantern is the one <laughs> the one with the eye stalks yes. you see on page 21 yeah. yep. who, who's like you know uh, admiring kyle's costume you yeah, mm. what the heck is up with him but it's nice to see tomar ray there and you know yeah. obviously you know kilowog is is good to see and you've got chase along the crystalline one mm-hmm. but then you know uh, kyle's all like oh these freaky a- the green lanterns you know they're all weird until on page 22 he sees the uh The hot chick with the Medusa hair, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. I have no idea either, but um, then Kyle drops the bomb. Hey, I'm from the future. And everyone, it's one of those moments where everyone goes silent. And Kyle's like, "Uh, I said something wrong, didn't I? (laughs) After that, we get the, you know, the backstory, the quick little image of Graven, the, Mm -hmm. the Bastard son of Dark Side, supposedly another one of the. Him and Nebula get together for coffee every once in a while, <laughs> and just sort of mourn the fact that they're not really remembered at all. Yeah, probably. Yeah.
5: It's like
1: I was Thanos's granddaughter. <laughs> I was. I Darkside's was Dark Side son.
0: son. I never got to talk to my dad.
1: I never got to talk to. Well, my granddad talked to me once, and he said, "Get the hell off my ship." <laughs>
0: Oh, let's see. My next note,
1: and this is just another. Hopefully we're going to get Nebula again since, you know, I I suspect Karen Gillan is playing her.
0: Oh, really? In In Guardians? She's playing
1: the main villain. She's playing the main villain in Guardians of the Galaxy. And I saw that. I said, okay, tall, redhead, that's Nebula.
0: Hmm, I see, because I thought she was supposed to be a member of the Guardians. At least that's where... You Although know, they that's they did Gamora. The
1: Gamora, they... Oh, okay. That's uh, Zoe Saldana, you know, the stick insect from Venezuela. Uh, okay, yeah.
0: Venezuela? hmm <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Sad. She needs a sandwich. <laughs> um, again, I'm going to make a little sort of snide comment. On page 25, if you look at that fourth panel... Out of context theater here presents
3: ours is a proper
0: love. <laughs> it's just a friendly back rub. Let me give you a back rub. Hal. <laughs> don't worry. No, don't, don't worry about it. Alice, just a back rub. We all experiment. <laughs> <laughs> then, I, then on the next page. And this is, this has got to be a thrill for Kyle because he ever
5: is
1: in my, in my opinion, this whole, this is like the centerpiece of the whole of the whole issue. Mm-hmm. Just like it's just an amazing moment.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and it's it's the thing that Kyle never got to experience and being the one, the only Green Lantern, you know, charging his ring is just it's like plugging in your your phone. It's it's something that you just do because you have to do. He never got the sense that he was part of something bigger, that he was part of a group. And to get this panel where they're all holding their rings up to the battery and saying the oath. And even though Kyle may not know the oath, just to be a part of that has got to be just uh, to, to let him know that he's a part of something bigger has got to be such a thrill for him. And in his own little 90s way, he, he lets it be known that he's just excited to be there with cool. And it, it's it is glorious. I love it. Mm -hmm. after that you know we get the plan of sinestro deciding to throw a meteor at uh i saw it in this really cool movie it was called armageddon (laughs) that movie was not really cool (laughs) but it's sinestro
1: (laughs) oh okay sinestro
0: thinks crap is cool (laughs) that's true well it was not one of michael bay's better he likes deuce bigelow male jiggle. oh no Oh god, don't. You know why
1: we keep getting Adam Sandler movies every year?
0: <laughs> Sinestro. <laughs> it's an evil plot by Sinestro. <laughs> oh sweet Jesus, we figured it out. <laughs> uh but again, uh the artwork, you know, Waxes and Wanes, and here on page 29 that that final panel where Sinestro's Leaping at you know Kyle or Hal, it's it just looks almost staten esque. Yeah, it does kind of. It, it does. It does have that sort of very uh, that uh, staten esque is right. It does that sort of minimalist, comic-y look. Mm-hmm. The the angles are aren't as curved. There's a lot more sharp edges to it. So it just the artwork in this book is is not bad it just varies so much and i don't know whether it's the fact that it might have been a bit rushed or it might have been a bit overwhelming to do it all but it's it's okay i can't complain all that much about it i guess my next note is really you know that
1: Gee, using a green lantern using a rocket pack mhm which would be make sense if you didn't
0: fly and all <laughs> Well, he's got to fly fast, so he can't just fly fast by flying fast. He needs to put on a rocket pack because, Mm -hmm. well, you you might think that Kyle would be doing it because it's cool, and that's kind of Kyle's thing. Kyle likes to do cool things, so there you go there. But this was one of the things that kind of... Not that it didn't work for me, but it was just kind of a ha huh moment because prior to this, you know, it had, it had been shown in issues uh, 98 and 99 where Kyle went to the future that he could only allow his – his ring didn't work for anyone else. It only worked for someone who he was genetically linked to mm-hmm. uh, In in the future shock storyline where we dealt with the Legion – kyle's ancestor in the 30th century was the one who became for you know just one issue a green lantern but and she could use the ring simply because she was his you know great great however many great you know granddaughter or something or something like that so the fact that hal and kyle are able to switch rings and hal is able to use his even though supposedly it's encoded to kyle's dna is just kind of I don't know. I don't know if it's just kind of weak storytelling or whether or not you could just chalk it up to the fact that this is, you know, time pat. you know, this is before Kyle's time and things work differently. But Mm -hmm. it was one of those little sticking points that, you know, just kind of irked me. And then you get, you know, Hal doing his dirty Harry, which, again, makes no we're going to come to a story later.
1: Where, which um, hinges on the concept that the rings at this time have a failsafe that prevents a Green Lantern from taking another sentient's life. Why Sinestra, who is supposed to be the best of the best before they said, I ah, sorry, you got to go, is scared that Hal Jordan is going to shoot him. Mm-hmm. With his big green gun. I have no idea.
0: Well unless. I guess the only way. You could kind of no prize that. Is if Hal. Is wearing Kyle's ring. And Kyle's ring has that immunity. To yellow. Maybe there's that sort of. Bit of unknown. Okay, That makes sense. That would be the only way. I could you know. Maybe no prize that out. But. Yeah, it's just out of place for Hal. You would also think that Sinestro would be knowledgeable about Hal enough to know that that's just not in Hal's makeup to do something Mm -hmm. like that. But I guess it makes for a nice, dirty, hairy moment.
1: Mm -hmm. And then we have Hal using his green ring to remove the yellow ring from Sinestro's finger. Mm -hmm. What the F?
0: well again isn't it uh, i uh, they hadn't traded rings yet so you know he's okay. he's able okay you're to right i'm sorry but then i think this that is that should have been a, that should have been a sign
1: actually kind of like a hint that yeah
0: mm-hmm. but then i think it's amusing especially you know what we've talked about before with uh kyle using all the uh varying constructs and whatever and not trying to go back to the simplistic things that Hal Jordan used to do that Kyle is the one that knocks Sinestro out with the ring construct boxing glove so you know and not that it bugs me or anything but I think I'm wondering it you know because because Hal mentions on that page thirty five that you know he he's surprised that Kyle used a boxing glove uh, hmm. to the fact that you know Hal may have never thought of using a boxing glove to knock someone out prior to this but yeah uh, uh, it's fine. But uh this leads us to the the final couple of panels where the guardians are gonna use their magic guardian type powers to to send Sinestro into space. Yeah, good idea. Banishing him into an alternate dimension or an alternate universe couldn't keep him down. So you're just gonna shoot him out in the space and you think that's gonna be okay? Ugh. Most you know, he action. might meet
1: some, I don't know, shape-changing group of aliens who will decide to invade Oa.
0: <laughs> that would never happen. Of course not. Uh, but it leads to the moment where, you know, Sinestro, and we've seen this be- before in the early issues of Green Lantern, where the ring bearers can manipulate their rings when they're not wearing them and you see sinestro mm-hmm. manipulate his yellow ring to toss hal into the sort of time vortex with kyle and you get this great panel i think i think hal and kyle both look really good on this final page mm-hmm. um with uh kyle back at uh yo know radio's and bleaker Street, and hal jordan right behind him except for kyle's teeth yes <laughs> Yes, Kyle, again, Austin. Uh, I don't know whether it's Austin doing it or whether it's you know banks just doing that open. Line, but yeah, the teeth are just kind of crazy there. But he, yeah, Hal is back. It's young Hal. He he's not in any way possessed by Parallax, or well, I guess not possessed by Parallax now. It's he's not Parallax, and we're gonna carry on with seeing how Hal adapts to being in the then current present. So this is a wonderful love letter to Hal Jordan. Mm-hmm. It's a great story. It's fun, sort of silver agey goodness done in a nineties take. And I just really enjoyed the heck out of it. Despite some wonky art in there, this was overall I think a an excellent, excellent Anniversary issue. Yes, it, I mean it was it was a
1: classic golden. You're right, classic Silver Age story done in the modern style. Ron Mar showing that. Yeah, no, I like how. Really, I do.
0: hmm and, uh,
1: and and it, it's interesting. Is I mean not to look ahead, but we're going to see in the next few issues why how maybe wouldn't fit into the modern DC universe at that
0: mm-hmm. time. And it'll be interesting to see because I guess we'll be able to you know. Gauge sort of the difference between the mentality of the Silver Age and the mentality of the uh, what I like to go by Professor Allen's notation of the Chromium Age, Mm -hmm. and you know how how things work and how things function and how 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 Hal is able to fit into that, and it'll be interesting to see not only how Hal reacts to it but how everyone else reacts to it. Um, I can tease a little bit. Upcoming, I'm going to be doing a crossover issue uh, with the the Jerry Ordway penned Power Shazam where Kyle and Hal end up in that, and initially, the Marvels are kind of leery about dealing with Hal because the way they know him is from him being Parallax. So they're Mm -hmm. still kind of wondering what's going on with him. But yeah, it's going to be really interesting to take a look at What goes on from here, and whether Hal is able to integrate or whether things go wrong. So yeah, I'm I'm loving this. This is just such a good issue.
1: I mean, we're coming up, I think, because I think we got what about three more years of Ron Mars. Yeah, I think so. I I I, want to say that like 137 or 136 is the. The first Judd Winnick episode, uh, issue.
0: I think it may be a little earlier than that. I'm, tr- I think it's in the one, tw- the late one twenties. Okay. Because uh, there's a few, I think there's a few issues where there's someone other than Mars, and then we get to All the those Winnick awful stuff. Ben Rabe fill-ins. I, <sighs> I think uh, is that first you
1: ruin first you ruin Pete Wisdom for me, Rabe, and then you ruin Kyle Rayner. F
0: you. I'm sorry, this this is obviously something very traumatic for you, Tom. We'll talk about this. Yes. But yeah, this was a great issue. I think I I think it's the setup for a really good storyline, and I think it's again, like you said, it's showing that Ron Mars does have a love and does have a grasp on the character of Hal Jordan. And you know, anyone who thinks otherwise, I think, you know, is got something misdirected or something. I don't know. But unless you have anything else to talk about this, I'm going to go ahead and say we take a quick little break. Uh, We'll put a couple more promos in here and as soon as we get back, we'll take a look at the final issue of Greenland Core Quarterly starring your favorite Jack T. Chan.
2: Yowza. This is Tokyo
3: If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at two twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality.
1: A steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at RelativelyGeekyPodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny.
0: And we're back. So let's take a look, as we usually do this time. At Green Lantern Corps, quarterly number eight, the final issue in this series. Whether it's for good or ill, we'll find out. The cover date for this one was spring 1994, and it was released on January 11, 1994. The cover price was 2.95 US, $4 Canada, and £2 in the UK. And the opening title for the book was Book of Endings. The writer for this part of the book was Mike Carlin. The penciler was Carlos Franco. The anchor was Tom Rainey letterer Albert Guzman, colorist Greg Rosewall. The associate editor for the entire book was Eddie Braganza, and the same with editor Kevin Dooley. Our story opens, as usual, with the 18 billion 1,994-year-old book of Oa, recounting the history of the ancient Malthusians from their beginnings of trying to create order by wiping out magic, creating creepy murder bots, And then finally organizing the Green Lantern Corps. Third time's the charm. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And one of those Green Lanterns was none other than Sector 2814's own Abin Sur. Now, as I failed to mention and realize in the last issue, the framing sequence here wasn't written by Gerard Jones. And I'm kind of wondering if that was because Gerard was kind of on the outs... Because throughout the Green Lantern core quarterly thing, the one thing that sort of tied it together was most of the framing sequences were written by Jones. And the last one was written by, oddly enough, Ron Mars, who also took over the Green Lantern book. And this one's written by Mark Mike Carlin. And there's nothing really wrong with it. It's a simple telling of the Green Lantern story, you know, for at least the story of the Guardians. But you know, I, I I don't know. It's Mike Carlin, I think, does great stuff, but this just is there to sort of frame the book. And plus, the art, I think, it's marginal at best. But I don't think it really needs to be all that epic because you've got some better stuff in here.
1: The framing. I, I think that said. this shows signs of being really, really rushed. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to bet it was. Remember, because if you guys go back to episodes 50 and 51 of Just One of the Guys, which guest starred uh, Michael Bailey and some jackass from New York, you'll remember that we recounted how the um, whole Emerald Twilight storyline was very quickly rushed into production after Gerard Jones' proposal for the same story was rejected. Yes, and I think this is, might be what very much happened, that, that this they knew they were going to cancel the book. Gerard Jones was like, screw that, I'm not interested anymore. Walked away. And somebody had to come in and do some sort of framing sequence for the three stories.
0: Right? Yeah, and that's definitely what it feels like, because the artwork... Like I said, it's not bad, it's just average. Uh, especially if you're looking on page two, that second panel there, mm-hmm. with the uh, sort of magic... See, and this is the weird thing. This is when it's supposed to be one of those ancient magician, necromancer, or whatever people yeah. the Balthusians are fighting against. Mm-hmm. Yet he's got a cape with the green lantern symbol on it. A symbol that really shouldn't exist until mm-hmm. well after the Manhunters were born, so yeah. I don't know. It's not bad, but it's not anything that just Jones is with me. Um... I might as well go ahead and go back to it. I liked the cover. I think Gene Haw did the cover along with Scott Hanna. And I have to
1: assume that, yeah.
0: It's uh, it's Lobo and a, a very uncomfortable looking uh, Jack T Chance as Lobo is looking like he's coming up behind him and going to do something awful to him, and not just the lobotomy either. That's yeah. what his drawing said. But,
3: you know, it's... Theirs is a proper love.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's it's very 90s artwork, and you've got to kind of expect that with Lobo. And I think it, it sort of recalls images of the Flint Henry artwork that we saw, mm-hmm. the really good Flint Henry artwork that right. we saw in that first issue of Greenlander Core Quarterly with Jack, Jack T. Chance. So I, I enjoyed it, you know. Nothing really right home with. But speaking of 90s imagery, we're going to get plenty of that in, in our first full story, which was uh, called Close Encounters. And it sadly has nothing to do with the Richard Dreyfus sculpting a flat-topped Utah mountain out of mashed potatoes, which is disappointing for me. It was written by Darwin McPherson, penciled by Howard Porter, inked by Andrew Peepoy, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, and colored by Gina Going, with special thanks to Mark Wade. Okay. In 1944, a member of Brigade, or Youngblood, or X Force, <laughs> or Wildcats, or Shadowhawk, or Deathmate, or whatever lands, looking amidst... for
3: the Image Universe.
0: <laughs> he he was uh, he missed the he missed the Image Universe and shot past it to the DC Universe. He, he lands amidst a battalion of guess what Nazi soldiers, and because they're Nazis, they do the obvious thing and start shooting up the very very 90s-looking being. If they could only stand that this super-powered being is willing to offer his ultra-killing services, this might have worked out better for them. But as they don't, the being, we find out, is called Dask-Dwar. <laughs> sure, why not? Decides to use said services on so he's, he's not only So he's not
1: only a badass, he's a French badass. Ah... <laughs> uh. Him and Patroc the Leaper are gonna team up <laughs> on
0: a supergroup. That would be amazing. Maybe we'll see him in the uh, Winter Soldier movie. <laughs> there we go. Let's see. Um, this raises the ire of the Guardians of the Universe, who finds sec- who sends Sector 2814's Green Lantern and Sur, to recapture War and bring him back to the Science Cell on Oa. <laughs> is he a clone or is he a man? <laughs> <laughs> Why can't he be both? <laughs> We then cut to the Golden Age Green Lantern and Flash delivering supplies to the wounded Allied troops. The two heroes are interrupted from their duties by a surrendering Nazi, which is odd because it normally is a surrendering French person, but that's just <laughs> me making commentary, who is ranting about an attack from a strange demon. Concerned, the heroes head out and find the X reject throttling another Nazi. Alan and Jay engage the life wannabe, but they are handily taken down. However, Green Lantern Abin Sur isn't such a pushover, as he wangs the alien in the head with some ring blasts. Dask is prepared for the encounter, as he powers pastepot Pete and sprays Abin's ring hand with some yellow paste, then knocks him out. Our hero awakens some later, and doing the logical thing, he steals the unconscious Alan Scott's ring and decides to use it as his own, finding that it doesn't have the stupid yellow weakness. Abin chases down Dask, and after a quick fight and a bit of social commentary to a couple of young French boys, the Green Lantern takes the villain back to Oa, but not before replacing the stolen ring back on Alan Scott's finger and wiping their memories of the attack. Crisis averted, Jay and Alan awaken with that funny sort of hangover style type feeling, which is exacerbated by the fact that Alan found the ring on his wrong hand. You know, this was a fun little story with not very 90s artwork, and I think mm-hmm. that's kind of appropriate from Hal and Porter, who will really right. make his name big here in a couple of years in the JLA book.
1: I do have some issues with the story. Okay. First off, um, Abin Sir is a dick. <laughs> okay. He, I mean, And it's so weird because you read the other previous um, appearances of Abin Sir and he's like very respectful and that. He's a bit of an arrogant jerk in this in this story.
0: Yeah, kind of. Um, the the fact that he just nixes you know these two uncon—oh, this unconscious guy is a Green Lantern. Uh, he won't mind if I steal his ring. Yeah. <laughs> so also, Alan Scott goes out like a chump, mm-hmm. and this is supposed to be his book. Yes, yeah, I I never really thought about that because yeah. This is Alan Scott's book. You know, he's been pretty much in all of the stories aside. Yes. From, no, he's been all in pretty much all the stories throughout this book. And yeah, he gets taken down pretty handedly. Yeah, that's... By by Robotron. <laughs> 2055. This guy is just and, and the artwork gets a bit wonky here on uh, that page where Alan and Jay come in to fight him. Um, mm-hmm. Alan just looks kind of weird in that first panel. I guess page nine. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, he does get just taken down very quickly. Yeah, it's not the best of stories, but
1: I just expected Abin, sir to say, "Now you know." <laughs> At the end of his little speech to the French boys. Yes, I, I Then to that's... go. And knowing is half
0: the battle, Uncle Avan. <laughs> yeah, and the little French boys, they look they look like they might sp- they they might smell they... <laughs> <laughs> of course they're
3: french <laughs> oh
0: i'm sorry french listeners <laughs> we don't think that you smell badly but... <laughs> but no i i was saying that they they, they don't look photo reference but they look kind of specific so i don't know whether they're trying yeah. to do young versions of people but that just could be and then yeah that's got to be kind of awkward you know you fall asleep and find out you don't your know best what's friend ring <laughs> rings on your other finger what did i do last <laughs> night oh i was so wasted
3: there's a monkey in the bathroom <laughs>
0: <laughs> we've got to return this to mike tyson oh no uh but i think that's enough of that one let's go ahead and move on to There's a little framing sequence in the middle, and that kind of uh, leads us into the next story, which is the one that I've been looking forward to. Mm -hmm. This is the next and obviously most awesome story in the book, which was entitled Bad Intentions. And it was written by none other than Bo Smith. Awesome. It was penciled by Enrique Villagran, lettered by Pat Brousseau, and colored by Matt Webb. And like many Bo Smith stories, this one opens with a burly man rescuing a helpless female from a dinosaur by throwing a grenade down its throat and then sealing its mouth shut by ramming a sword through its nose into its lower jaw. It's the American way, folks. <laughs> it's what Bo Smith does, and he does it well. After a Jurassic-level bloom, our hero, Probert most awkward name ever, removes his mask as he is approached by a guardian of the universe. The guardian tells the bad one that they are in need of his service and taking out Crud, spelled K K R U D D, to make it look different. A tubby despot who has misused his green status to take over an affluent planet and kidnap Pula, the former love of Probert. Probert agrees to take out the chubby charlatan, and the Guardian offers him a Green Lantern ring to face his foe with. But Probert refuses, as he doesn't wear rings, and heads out to take the rescued girl back to her mother. Meanwhile, Crud is preparing for a party with the elite of the planet, while outside the castle, Probert is stealthily scaling the wall. Satisfied with himself, Crud decides it's time for a little bouncy-bouncy time with his kidnapped charm Pula, But Probert has something to say about that as he burst into the bedroom, ready to beat some ass. But Crud doesn't go down easy as he rings up Constructs to deflect Probert's gunfire and to knock Probert out. The bad one beats beats a hasty retreat and curses the fact that he didn't heed the Guardian's advice. But fortunately, he finds Crud's battery and uses it to charge... his ring? I don't see one, but whatever... Probert uses the ring to beat the stuffing out of Crud, cut off his ring finger, and then uses his fist to do the rest. Having trounced the tyrant and snapped his leg at the knee, ouch, Probert tells the returning Guardian that Crud is their problem and they're welcome to it. The Guardian thanks Probert and says that they will keep him in their cosmic rolodex for future jobs that they need a high level of red-ass beatdown for. Probert says, whatevs, but I'm still not going to wear any. And I've got to say, you know, reading this after and, and, and the Guy and Gardner stuff...
1: And think... we should also mention, Kula decides to take him home for hot monkey love.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're going to be making the beast with a lot of backs
5: that night. <laughs> the,
0: this is great. Uh, after reading this after the Guy Gardner stuff, definitely gives me a new appreciation to the story. Um, mm-hmm. Probert is definitely... Bo Smith in comic book form. I think we kind of mentioned... Right. If you didn't know about Bo Smith, he was one of these people who, during his early life, liked to go find guys who were treating women poorly and beat the ever-loving snot out of him. And I think this is just Bo writing to what he knows. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of thing that he would do, so him writing this kind of story is just but you know, it's perfect for him. And it really works... Enrique Velez art is—it's nice. It's not overly '90s. It does have a few moments of cheesecake. If you look at the mm-hmm. picture of Pula, mm-hmm. where is it here? With her tied up on the bed, she's right. very. She's you know she's wearing a very short miniskirt and a uh, crud is just this what the sort of Italian you know long haired beefy wannabe lothario guy you know he, yeah. he he who decides you know the best way to get around a girl is to take off his shirt and show his tubby manliness because <laughs> he's one of those guys who's not he's not physically fit he's got a sort of strong man type build, but that sort of you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, Circus Strongman, where he's not like, you know, Schwarzenegger fit. Right. He's just very barrel chested.
1: I, I, I don't know why, but for some reason, the, the, the character design for Crud, particularly like the clothing that he's wearing and the, the opening bits, mm-hmm. uh, I wonder if uh, Villagran was doing echoes of Malvolio.
0: Maybe a little bit
1: who for those who don't know was a character that Christopher Priest created that was promptly then forgotten.
0: Uh disappointing. Which cuz he was a cool character. Yeah. But, but yeah, he's also got that sort of classic Spaniard Zorro type feel. Yeah. The the sash around his you know and, and that could also be that could also be inf- influence as well, but I like this story. You know, it mm-hmm. it's not very deep. It's it's just basically Probert, who essentially is Bo Smith, going in to beat some jerk's ass. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you want that. Sometimes right. you just want a story like that. I love the fact also that that,
1: that Crud has the big K behind his.
0: His ring. <laughs> oh, yes, his ring is is not only it's not only a Green Lantern ring, but it's like one of those decked out rings with a giant K on it. So, yes, he's let the power go to his head and he's manipulated. One of the things that I didn't understand, supposedly Probert said he didn't want the ring.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: But in the final the final part of the story, he's able to charge something yeah. on crud's power battery so uh, that's a bit of wonkiness maybe he's just holding the ring in his hand or whatever mm-hmm. but yeah it it's fine it works i thought it was uh again pretty brutal here what is it uh near the end of the book where uh they're in the water fountain and he's beating him up and Probert catches his foot as he's trying to kick him, and he snaps his leg at the knee. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's always well, and, and chopping off his finger. Yeah, also pretty nasty. Well, we'll get more. Well, and we're off. not done with with finger cutting off. No, that that will come up. That will come up again later in the book. But if you're ready, we'll move on. Uh, then there's another little bit of framing story where they make a couple of snide comments about the Guardians making bad choices for Green Lanterns with. Both the selection of Guy Gardner, who is awesome, uh, obviously, as I've tried to make apparent throughout most of this comic or most of this uh, podcast. And they're also kind of irked about the GL that the next story is about, Jack T. Chance. Also awesome. Agreed. This story was called Yellow Belly and was written by David DeVries, penciled by Gene Haw, inked by Scott Hanna, lettered by Bob Panaha, and colored by Tom McCraw. On the planet of Garnet, Lobo, icon of the excess of the 1990s, slashes a few aliens standing in his way of his job. That job being the capture and return of Augusta Golf, a cigar-smoking hooker-she-hulk analog. Of course, Augusta doesn't want to come quietly, which leads to some spike baseball bat to the head, female-punching McFightenstein. As Lobo lashes his quarry to the front of his space hog, he's approached by trench-coated, cigarette-smoking badass known as Jack T. Chance. Jack tells Lobo that he's stomping on his turf, and that the overrated yellow-belly better step off. This raises the ire of The Last Zarian, and also begins the story's with McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, between Lobo and the Lantern. Both sides are getting their licks in, until Lobo steps in the viscera of one of the aliens he killed earlier. Viscera that just happens to be yellow. Getting an idea, which is odd for Lobo because I don't know if he can actually function by coming up with ideas, he slices open the corpse of the alien and floods his body with the yellow fluids, making him obviously impervious to Jack's ring constructs and force fields. This leads to the main man beating the ever-loving snot out of Jack, all the while letting him know that his pummeling came from a yellow belly. Having beaten his foe into submission, Lobo snaps off Jack's ring finger and takes the ring and his own in hopes for taking out Legion headquarters. That's L period. It's not the Legion of Superheroes. But when he finds out that the ring won't leave the planet, Lobo tosses the ring away, finger and all, as he flies off with Augusta in tow. The ring and finger each inch their way back to Jack's hands, reattach, and bring Jack back to consciousness. Jack asks what happened, and much like Obi-Wan, the ring tells him that he won, from a certain point of view. Triumphant, Janik taunts the criminals of Garnet to come and take him on, as they are all a bunch of yellow bellies. Again, this was a fun story, and I really like the fact that they took kind of the two badasses of the universe and sort Mm -hmm. of put them together And yes, it's very 90s, but it's a good way to send off the book. And it's a good, this is a good example of 90s comics and sort
1: of 90s excess here. I will say, though, that Mr. DeVries doesn't seem to have the understanding of of, uh, Mr. Chance that uh, Ostrander did. No. Um, He seems to be more of a bully than anything Mm -hmm. in, in this story. As opposed to this person who was who had a code of honor that we saw in that that first story that Ostrander wrote.
0: I will agree with you there. He does he doesn't come off as the sort of you know man with no name, the sort of person who does like you said does have a code of honor who's there to try and clean up the town. He just seems to be antagonizing Lobo, but mm-hmm. maybe it's just a way to set up. It is just a way to set up a battle between these two. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, we asses. have
1: that, that great epic 12-issue maxi-series that comes out of this, with the two of them teaming up and going around alphabetically kicking the ass of everybody in the universe.
0: I think that would have been perhaps one of the greatest things the 90s would have produced. Unfortunately, sadly, it did not.
1: In fact, if anything, they kind of write Jack off very, 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 very offhandedly in issue number 50.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's that's disappointing, because I think out of most of the characters that came out of this uh, Green Lantern Corps quarterly run, Jack was one of the standouts. There were some interesting stories. Uh, a couple of episodes ago, I did one about a Green Lantern who was in a coma. That was a nice story written by uh, James Robinson. Right. But, um, yeah, Jack was one of the standout lanterns, and the fact that he only got two books here— and that one little sort of one shot in uh, the Green Lantern book where he is killed off in just a matter of panels is disappointing. Cause I think this is a character that could have stood on his own and had some interesting yeah. tales, but yeah, they, dissent. it was
1: obvious that at least at one point DC was kind of high on him because he's got the cover on both of his appearances. But I think at this point where they're going to like get rid of the Green Lantern core and get rid of the Green Lantern family of books and, They're kind of embarrassed.
0: Yeah, and that's... And at the point of this time coming out, it's still pretty high on the image and the speculator market. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of 90s excess still going on. And I would think this would be a point in time where they could still tell tales of this. But because they decided to... And you see it on the cover, you know, the... Emerald Twilight signals the end of the Green Lantern Corps. You know, I think this was just a time where they were ready to get rid of the core, and it's disappointing because he had a lot of a lot of potential, I think, and it was just kind of misused. I think the Green Lantern Corps quarterly books would have been better served with having a Jack T. Chance story in every one of them, especially rather than having that awful issue with. Power Girl in it. Oh, why was Power Power Girl doesn't count as a Green Lantern? No, she doesn't. There was there was a couple of issue, there was a couple episodes back where Power Girl and Doctor Light, the non rapey one, the female one, right, were sort of the framing sequences of the book, and it was basically Aresia trying to weasel her way into being a Green Lantern again, and it was a bunch of stories that. It was a bunch of males trying to write feminist stories and it was just – it was perhaps the worst issue of this run of books. And it had a story in there that dealt with a Green Lantern who was like an awful, awful stereotype of kind of an Oprah character, not necessarily in the way she held herself but in the way she looked. It was a very – I don't want to say racist, but very uncomfortable, unflattering look at a sort of large black woman, and it mm-hmm. was just really not very good. So I think these books would have been would have been much better if we would have had more Jack T. Chance. He's he he would have been the cowbell of the Green Lantern Corps. Oh yeah, books.
1: if we had if we had a, a a Alan Scott, a Nort, and a Jack T. Chance story every every issue.
0: Yeah, and the we thing would is,
1: still be seeing it
5: today.
0: I would think so. I think I think Jack T. Chance would have been viewed much higher than he is. know, aside from you and myself, by by general uh, fans of Green Lantern, if if that were the case, if they would have given him uh, a better breadth of stories in this than rather just one at the beginning and one at the end. Mm-hmm. But you know, you take what you can, I guess. But overall. I'm kind of glad that I actually went back and read the Green Lantern Corps quarterlies. In general, I think it was a positive experience. There were some really awful stories in there. I will admit, the one with the tubby female Green Lantern who can't, who who doesn't want to be Grand, Green Lantern and gets sick when she flies, the one with the Muppet insects. I don't know if you ever got to read that one. No,
1: no, I haven't got to read that one.
0: That was bad. And, oh, I'm trying to remember. There was one with a, that,
1: that whatever happened to a Rhesus book that was, yes, that was really that awful. That
0: was not fun. Uh, but there were some good ones. The, the early stuff where Roger Stern was writing the, uh, Alan Scott stories where they're mm-hmm. showing Alan Scott and, uh, Molly as this sort of old or older couple just living in the DC universe and having adventures and going off to to B. Dickel's planet of oh I can't remember what it was going to B. Dickel's planet you know it was just it was a nice sort of slice of showing that DC universe didn't have to all be young hip trendy CW looking kids right, you know right. that there was a that there was an age difference between it and there was more than just the hip youth in it. So I like that kind of stuff. The North stories were fun. They were a mixed bag, and they had some sort of goofy comedic elements in it. And it also had, uh, near the end of it, some some kind of touching uh, dramatic elements as well. But overall, this was a product of its time, a product of the 90s, and there were a lot of 90s-type stuff in it. But I think this was an actual nice addition to uh what I'm what I was covering here and I'm actually glad that I pulled these and decided to uh take a look at them.
1: And I think that the other thing that we keep in mind is that what eventually felled Green Lantern Quarterly is the same thing that felled a lot of the other quarterly books not only in DC and Marvel but in Marvel as well, which is they became the dumping grounds for inventory stuff. Oh yes. You know there's a definite whiff of like you know uh that uh, but that there was a bunch of uh green tales of the Green Lantern Corps that never got around to being published that they just decided to just dump on dump on the on the book and the quality suffered because of it.
0: Yeah, in fact, a lot of the stories that I think didn't do as well in this in this run were the stories that did feel the most like inventory stories. In fact, in checking Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, if you look up some of the writers or some of the artists for some of those stories, you will see maybe two or less credits. Some of these people, some of the writers for these stories, this is the only credit that they have in any of comicdom and i think mike's mike's amazing world is pretty comprehensive they've got they've got a pretty good width and breadth of uh you know what artists and creators uh you know what they've worked on and when you see that the only work that this person has writing for is this one comic you've got to kind of think that yeah inventory story definitely mm. but overall i thought this wasn't a bad issue it was significantly better than some of them. Uh, it was very 90s heavy, especially yeah. with the character of Dask Noir, who was just...
1: I think we both agree that the Bo Smith story is the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there there is, even though there's some weird character characterization choices, uh, I think that the, uh, the Abin Sir slash Alan Scott story works... Um, I think that the the Jack Chan story suffers because I don't think that DeVries understood the character.
0: I agree with you. It, it, it was fun, 90s over-the-topness. It was fun to see these two people get matched up. But, yeah, Jack's character did not seem to mirror the character that was set up with him in the beginning.
1: Did they have to kill him? They could have, they could have you know, shunted him over to – well, no, but at this point, Dark Stars was gone. Yeah. It's like, no, you can't come to Darkstar. It's like he could have been Legion.
0: I think that would have I think that actually would have been kind of interesting. But, you know, unfortunately Legion already had its prerequisite badass with Lobo, and you know right. you you don't wanna you don't wanna fill the book with Lobo type knockoff characters. Mm-hmm. Even though that Jack is, in my opinion, a far more interesting character yeah. than Lobo. But there you go. But yeah, that does it for Issue one hundred and episode one hundred. No, oh,
1: but there should be. There should have been like Jack Chan- Jack T Chance, the comic,
0: the ongoing Jack T Chance comic,
1: kick-ass <laughs> comics featuring Jack T Chance, <laughs> shadow of Jack T Chance,
0: <laughs> ex Jack T Chance. Wait, yeah, no, that's yeah. the other. The...
1: We did, we did a whole Jack T Chance
0: universe. Yes, Jack T Chance Force. That would be yes. Nice. <laughs> Thomas, you made episode 100 one of the greatest episodes i have ever been on thank you sir for coming on and sharing it these comics with me i'm so glad to have you on
1: it is always a pleasure you know that we have so much fun together
0: uh, i just i cannot tell you how much i love having you on love getting to talk to you about these books let's go ahead and tell people where they can find you on the internet and what kind of things you're doing out there um well, coming soon is
1: Monster Earth 2 from Mechanoid Press, which features a story that I wrote about giant monsters beating the snot out of each other.
0: Always awesome? Oh, right, that, right up there with
1: Nazis. <laughs> it's like Nazis getting beat up. That's pretty awesome. Giant monsters getting beating each other up. That's also pretty awesome. You can still get Shadow Legion New Roads to Hell through Amazon on both Kindle and Dead Tree Edition. And I am working very hard to finish out the next volume of the Shadow Legion saga, which you will get a preview of in Mystery Men and Women Volume 4 coming soon from Airship 27.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, Better in the Dark is is slow going these days because I'm too busy writing and romancing. That's,
0: um, that's an alternate podcast that we'll be talking about.
1: Write it and romancing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
1: but. It is still coming out. We're going to have a new episode out really soon. And we hope to have at least one episode out a month for the the near future. Um, You can go to Damn Your Eyes, Damn Your Eyes uh, to check out my movie blog. That's kind of a little dormant, but it's coming back. And uh, other sing along scriptures, my music blog. And there's lots and lots and lots of places you can find me. I'm not that hard to find. And every once in a while on a a show called, uh, was it Who True Freaks, right? Yep. Yeah.
0: yeah, I've i i have got something planned eventually. We're going to have to cover a Colin Baker episode, and I know Luke Giaconetti is also wanted to come on and talk about that. So it it may be you, me, and Luke, but I am more than willing to talk about... Will there be
1: a common. giant monster also involved, since it is Mr. Luke Giaconetti? We could probably work something like that. There's destructive directive also available. Yes. On the, two true on the two true freaks now. Definitely.
0: But Thomas, again, thank you again for coming on for episode 100. Thank you, everyone, for downloading and listening. And be sure to come back next time for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingram. All images, stories, and music are copyright to respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the tendencies of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome too. As long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website located at 2 There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast or search for Two True Freaks The Numeral 2, and you can subscribe to either the show or Two True Freaks there. You can also search me on Facebook, and now you can actually find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonsicore contract. But it still doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Mafia Wars group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast.
4: It's Megacom, the largest comic book, anime, gaming, and multimedia event in the southeastern U.S. Returns. Megacon from March 21st through the 23rd, 2014, at the Orange County Convention Center in magical Orlando, Florida. Confirmed comic book guests include Frank Bruner, Neil Adams, Bill Sinkevik, Mark Wade, Ron Mars, Greg Lan, Michael Golden, Dennis Calero, George Perez, Brandon Peterson, Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, Collie Hamner, Carl Story, Renee Winterstater, Billy Tucci, and Brian Polito. Just added Nick Bradshaw, Adam Kubert. Dan Jurgens, Mike Miller, Kevin Eastman, Joshua Ortega, Digger, Bart Sears, Ethan Van Skyver, Mike McCone, Frank Thierry, Mike Mayhew, and Chuck Dixon. Confirmed media guests include stars from AMC's The Walking Dead, Torchwood, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Smallville, Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Star Trek, and many, many, many more. Plus, I, Scott Gardner, will be there representing the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Tickets are available online now at www.megaconvention.com Children 10 and under are free with paid adult ticket. That's Megacon 2014 at the Orange County Convention Center Magical Orlando, Florida March 21st through the 23rd. For information, contact info at megaconvention.com or visit www. At megaconvention.com. That's Megacon 2014. Be there.